Good afternoon. It's uh, Thursday, March 17th, and happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. Uh, the markets are closed, um, and they've been trying to find a bottom, uh, with the markets basically up both here and overseas for the last three days. Since the war started back on the 24th of February, the S&P 500 is actually up 1.6%. Oddly enough, the developed markets closer to the war are also up 1%, and it's the emerging markets that have been hit hardest, as you might expect, Russia being an emerging market, down 3.9%. And in fact, Russia makes up 3.5% of the emerging market index, and that almost accounts for the entire decline post the war. Commodity prices have been rattled the most, though, of course. You watched energy prices spike. A barrel of oil here in this country now is $103 a barrel. It was $92 uh, before the war, and of course, up from about $77 at the start of the year. Wheat hit an all-time high. It's come back from its all-time high, but it's still up 18% since the war. Nickel has more than doubled, um, and natural gas in Europe, uh, delivery in Europe, has more than doubled. So clearly, the war has had a tremendous impact in the commodity space. Interest rates, surprisingly, are up. Because in general, in times of geopolitical risk, there is a flight to quality and treasury rates tend to come down. But believe it or not, the 10-year treasury is actually up 23 basis points. And of course, it's afforded the Fed the opportunity to raise rates as they did yesterday, 25 basis points. Since the Fed met yesterday, we've had a number of questions, though, coming our way. And I thought I'd try and address four of them fairly quickly for you. First off, we've been asked, was there anything that came out of the Fed meeting yesterday that, that you kind of didn't expect or was a surprise? I'll say the first thing, of course, was is that we had a dissent. Um, President Bullard suggested that rates ought to rise 50 basis points instead of 25. And generally, if there's one person dissenting, there's more than one, but the Fed likes to have a, a cohesive um, appearance. And so they usually look around the table and say, okay, you get the dissent this time, I'll dissent next time. So there is a modest amount of dissent that they that the Fed thought they could have gone you know, a little, little stronger. Secondly, the, they, they hinted strongly that QE was clearly on the table probably as soon as the um, uh, May meeting. And I think this will be um, an offering to the committee to say we will not only raise rates 25 basis points in the next meeting, but we will also reverse or start to reverse quantitative easing. And the Fed thinks that every trillion dollars they give back to us is like increasing interest rates 25 basis points. And so that will be the meeting that they think um, there's 50 basis points of a rate hike, essentially, by doing quantitative reversal, quantitative tightening, and jumping interest rates. Secondly, were there anything in all those dot plots we always hear about that came out of the meeting? Well, I would say a couple things. Um, perhaps the most interesting thing is at the end of the year, while the median dot forecast suggests there will be one rate hike at every meeting this year, much as the market was beginning to suspect, and as we had kind of been telling you, seven rate hikes over the course of the year, there were six votes out of the 16 that said it ought to be higher, which tells me if it's biased anyway, it's biased to the high side. Secondly, the terminal rate, while it increased a bit, only jumped to about two and three quarters of three percent, meaning that's the highest rate that the Fed thinks it has to get rates to before they can start to bring them back down. In other words, this inflation bubble that we're going through will start to disappear just after they've moved rates from essentially zero to three percent. I think that's probably wishful thinking. I would have thought perhaps that was a little higher. Number three, because of all the inflation people want to know about, is stagflation back on the table? Well, I will tell you that the Fed needs to be fairly assertive about raising rates. Um, some people think that they're magical in their thinking, imagining that they're just going to roll over like their projections um, have been. Uh, they have raised the projection for inflation, but it's still a rather benign inflation both this year 
and next year. And about five things have to start happening for us to avoid what would normally be called stagflation. Number one, we need to start seeing commodity prices come down. And of course, the war in Ukraine doesn't help this at all. But it doesn't mean that commodity prices can't ease. Um, they have you know, they've risen to all-time highs in general across the averages. Now, energy is not an all-time high, but raw industrials are, um, and, and food prices in some cases are. So we need to see commodity prices ease. Secondly, we need to see finished good prices start to at least stop accelerating, and that means we need to clear up some of the bottlenecks. There are still chip, sh chip shortages, and you know there's still you know short supplies. And of course, the Chinese uh, folks have shut down two of their provinces again to fight back on COVID. And of course, that doesn't help supply issues either. We need to get more workers coming back to work to slow the wage gains down. I think that's pretty unlikely because we've already put six and a half million people to work last year. We've increased the workforce participation rate a little bit, but we need to continue to attract people back into the workforce. We still have 2 million workers today than we had prior to the pandemic. And to attract them in general, you're going to have to offer them higher wages, but we need to see a slowdown there. Number four, we probably need to see a slowdown in home prices and rents. And of course, then the base effects need to ultimately take a hold, which simply means that, look, energy prices were up 70% year over year. Can they do it again? Used car prices were up 35% year over year. Can they do it again? In other words, can we repeat these strong inflationary surges year after year after year? And the answer to that is, is probably not. And then the biggest question we get is, is there a recession coming this year? Everybody has raised their probability for a recession. The war sure doesn't help because it's tightened financial conditions. The Fed certainly doesn't help because they're raising interest rates. Inflation hasn't helped because they're, they're fighting a tougher and tougher battle. And I will tell you, every time that the Fed has pushed us in, into a recession, on average, they've been fighting an inflation surge that rose about 5.5%. This inflation surge, unfortunately, is about 8%. They think they're going to take their time, you know, gradually, slowly working their way towards it, they may be able to soft land uh, the economy, but they've, um, you know, they've been able to do it three other times, but they haven't been able to do it with such an inflationary surge. There's a recession coming. There always is. The average recovery lasts seven and a half years. This one may not last seven and a half years, but I still think for the most part, given the economic momentum we had, we clearly make it through this year. And really, if the Fed follows along with its dot plot process, what is the real difference between a 0% rate and a 2 to 2.5% 2 rate? I don't think much to the average person. I don't think it's going to cause a recession in the near run. But one's out there. It's around the corner somewhere. And the Fed has had a very, very difficult time taking an 8% inflation surge and bringing it down without pushing us into recession.